Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. Glad to have you along. Good morning, Curtis. Uh, man, that's exciting. Glad to uh, glad to hear you got your new place. May the Lord bless you there and uh, and prosper you. I know it's been a rough rough ride, but uh, the Lord is good. Uh, so keep uh, keep the faith, brother. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, Stream Elements Bot Running. I don't know what that means. Those of you who are on YouTube, uh, some message popped up that said there's this bot running and I don't know what that means. Oh well, maybe uh, maybe the bot will come to Jesus. Uh, so we are we're working our way through uh, Isaiah and we come to another one of those fascinating uh, passages. Uh, I'll read it to you here as we get started in chapter 27 it says this in that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. With his fierce and great mighty sword, even Leviathan the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. So a couple things I want to point out here. First, uh, have you noticed the repetition of this phrase here, in that day? We see that again and again in Isaiah and other places in the scripture. Sometimes it appears to simply mean you know, this day rather than that day or that day rather than this day, that kind of thing. But it also tends to take on a more uh, technical um, meaning, it seems, at times. And it can be difficult to discern which of those it is. Let me, let me uh, show you. Uh, I pulled up a quick little search here of uh, how often it is used, even in Isaiah. So chapter 2, the proud look of man will be abased, and the loftiness of man will be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. In that context, if you recall, that, that seems to have a particular day in mind, not just a, sort of a day that's, that's coming up. Uh, seven, verse 17, the pride of man will be humbled, the loftiness of men will be abased, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. We see a repetition of the Lord alone will be exalted in that day, so there's this day coming. In that day, men will cast away to the moles and the bats their idols of silver. And in the context there, it, uh, if you recall, we looked at the, the coming destruction of God's city, Jerusalem, and the people there. Chapter 3, in that day, the Lord will take away the beauty of their anklets, headbands, crescent ornaments, and so on. Again, looking forward to the uh, the, the destruction of God's people, the city, and the and uh, all those who were arrogant, these women in particular in chapter 3, who uh, found their meaning and purpose in their beauty. Continuing on, the day of judgment, uh, chapter 4, for seven women will take hold of one man in that day, uh, saying, we'll eat our own bread, wear our own clothes, just let us take your name. Then hope, chapter two, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. So that day is a day of judgment and a day that uh, this, this branch from the Lord's tree will be beautiful and glorious. Uh, chapter 5, it will growl over it in that day like the roaring of the sea. Chapter 7, in that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is in the remotest part of the rivers of Egypt and the bee that is in the land of Assyria. 
two verses later, and that day the Lord will shave with a razor hired regions from beyond the Euphrates, that is, with the king of Assyria. So here we're given very specific fulfillment of what's going to happen in that day. Assyria, the king of Assyria, is going to come and uh, shave with a razor <laughs> the head and the hair of the legs on his people. Now in that day a man may keep alive a heifer and a pair of sheep. Remember we talked about that uh, it's going to be wiped out such that they will their livestock will be reduced to just a few. It will come about in that day that every place where there used to be a thousand vines valued at a thousand shekels will become briars and thorns. We're going to see this briars and thorns here again in a moment. Well, maybe depending on if we get to it today. Now in that day, the remnant of Israel, those of the house of Jacob who have escaped will never again rely on the one who struck them, but will truly rely on the Lord. So in this day that's coming after the judgment, uh, the Jews will not rely on these nations, but they'll rely on the Holy One of Israel. Chapter 11, then in that day, the nations will resort to Jesse, who will stand as a signal for his peoples. That's the root of Jesse. That, uh, that's the Messiah. Chapter 12, in that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. 17, now in that day, the glory of Jacob will fade and the fatness of his flesh will become lean. So now we're back to judgment. In that day, man will have regard for his maker. Now they're worshiping God. Anyway, it goes on and on. Um, I won't go through all of these, but this in that day just continues to be uh, a, a, a day of judgment and a day of salvation. And that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years. So it will happen in that day. The Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of earth on earth. Remember, we spent some time uh, there. And then we come to our text. Uh, and that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan. The New Testament also uh, has some that day imagery. And again, sometimes it's more general, but sometimes it seems to be focusing on a similar thing, such as Matthew 24. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels nor the Son, but the Father alone. Matthew 24 is the context, of course, of the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and those kind of things. In uh, Matthew 26, I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. That's the initiation of the Lord's Supper. And Jesus celebrates the Lord's Supper with them and then says, I'm not going to do this again with you until that day when we drink it together in the Father's kingdom. Mark 2.20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. Uh, Mark 13 is similar to Mark 24, Mark 4, or Matthew 24. Uh, there was one more that I was going to point out to you. Um, it was used a few times. I, I think it was in 2 Thessalonians. Yeah, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you who have believed. Anyway, so... I just want to point out that that this we should catch these kinds of repetitions as we read, as we study, as we as we see this. That that day, that's a that's a common phrase. And here in in Isaiah twenty seven, in that day, what's going to happen is the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. So you've heard of Leviathan, 
This is a, a common term in continues in our day. It was common in ancient myths of other nations that were concurrent with Israel to describe uh, these great monsters that were, again, mythological in, in several senses of that word. They were part of actual myths. They became sort of a mythical term to describe the greatest beasts, the greatest foes, uh, these, these mysterious, uh, terrifying creatures. Sometimes they came out of the sea. Sometimes they flew. Uh, there's some indication that the word refers to creatures that truly do exist like uh, hippopotamuses. And, you know, in our days of zoos, maybe a hippo is not quite as intimidating as it would have been in, the, in antiquity. But if you imagine being a boy playing along the rivers or the, 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 the lakes and uh, all of a sudden a hippopotamus comes running out of the sea at you. <laughs> you can imagine how, how scary that would be. It's a big beast of a, of a creature that doesn't look like really anything else. And they're pretty, if you've, if you've seen some of the videos of the hippo, hippos uh, taking on uh, other creatures, they can be pretty, pretty strong and wild. Uh, some think Leviathan might refer to the crocodile. Same kind of thing. They, you see their, their nostrils kind of uh, hovering out of the, the water and then uh, maybe you've seen them uh, as, a, as a lion or a leopard or uh, one of those fierce creatures is up at the water's edge looking and then the, the crocodile grabs it in his jaws and carries it into the water and drowns it. I mean, they're, they're fierce. They're, they're scary. When, when you see these crazy men, right, wrestling with, uh, with crocodiles in the water going after them. And uh, I saw one the other day on a, on a golf course, and I, I don't know. I forget the difference between crocodile and alligator. Some of you more enlightened people can uh, let me in on the, the definition there. But uh, the guy's on a golf course, and there's uh, an alligator or a crocodile there um, that gets his, his coat. And so the man um, goes and uh, toys with the, the creature trying to get his coat back. And I think, what are you, what are you thinking? That's... That's ridiculous, uh, but that's what they do. By the way, I apologize. I'm in prime allergy season here where I live. Something, whatever I'm allergic to, it only it only happens in August and stays through the first frost. So those of you who are watching on video for the next few months, um, I'm, my watery eyes and poofy eyes and sneezing and might have to blow my nose. It's not uh, not because I'm emotionally distraught at the moment. I uh, just they they burn and they itch and. So, sorry about that. Lon says, a hippo animated to run at audiences in a museum traumatized our... Is that right? So, he says, uh, at, a, at a museum, uh, an, a hippo is... Oh, you an animated hippo. Okay. To run at audiences traumatized our granddaughter. Yeah, scary. I mean, they're, they're intimidating creatures, to be sure. Anyway, so this Leviathan, whatever it means, uh, it's, it's, it becomes this mythical term for... Uh, a, a, a strong, powerful, scary creature. Uh, and in one of the Psalms, it seems pretty likely that the Leviathan there is referring to Egypt, the great foe of, of Israel. So it doesn't always refer to an actual uh, creature, but it symbolizes something that you're terrified of. 
Well, God's going to punish it. He's going to visit Leviathan. Uh, that word visit, we've seen several times in the book of Isaiah. It's usually translated punish. Um, and I won't go into it right now, but it, it can be visit with blessing or visit with with uh, retribution. And so whenever it's negative, the NIS usually translates it punish. So he's going to visit Leviathan with his wrath, with his anger. And he's got a, the Lord has a fierce and great and mighty sword. Interesting that there are three terms used here for this foe, Leviathan, Leviathan, dragon. And there are three adjectives dis- describing God's sword. Is that uh, linguistic repetition on purpose? Maybe fierce sword, great sword, mighty sword to take out this creature. And notice how Leviathan is is described. He's a fleeing serpent. Uh, this word fleeing, the, the one who runs, tries to run. And there can be echoes in this Hebrew word for flight. And we know in English there's even a, a, a nuance of flight as... A, as a form of the word flee, right? Flight, and yet flight also we think of as flying. And so there is, in, in Hebrew, the same kind of uh, nuance and echoes. So this could be this serpent that is able to fly, possibly in the sense of getting off the ground as well as running away. And then... In the, this third section here, it's twisted, coiled, and then the dragon lives on the sea. So there are these, again, the, this, this imagery communicates this beast that is kind of in the air, coiled up on the land, twisted and ready to strike, and living in the sea. So maybe, maybe it is uh, communicating... Uh, all of the levels of reality that we know, um, the serpent dwells. So he, he's in the air and on land, in the sea. Um, everywhere you can go, the serpent is there and causing uh, turmoil and, and panic for, for people. Uh, and of course, if you're following, if, if you're thinking here of Satan, which... Certainly the Bible uses dragon and serpent uh, to de- describe Satan. That's, that's how Satan's introduced to us in the garden, right? Uh, the, the serpent. If you're thinking that, then you're remembering phrases like the Apostle Paul uh, referring to the prince of the power of the air, that kind of thing. And then, of course, through the whole book of Revelation, we have this, uh, this creature that is uh, the dragon. He's in the sea, and you've got the beast of the sea, the beast of the land. So all of this, uh, this, this certainly may be referring to Satan and God slaying that dragon and, and punishing that dragon, which calls up Revelation 20, some of those kinds of things. I, I want to look at one of them uh, just that I find interesting in, uh, in Revelation chapter 12. And, uh, and just, I, again, I've told you all along here, especially in this middle section of Isaiah, uh, there are there are several questions that remain for me trying to sort through the timing of this and the application of the fulfillment of some of these prophecies. 
And I'm, I don't know, probably 80% persuaded that Leviathan here is talking about Satan. Uh, there's a little bit of hesitance, but I'm still sorting through that. But if he's talking about Satan, which seems likely, then there's this passage in Revelation chapter 12 that I find interesting. So take a look at this with me and see if uh, any of this uh, resonates with you. So this vision here that John sees, he says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. So that's interesting. John sees this sign, and it's a woman. She's in heaven, and her clothes are, are the sun, and she's sort of walking on the moon. <laughs> the moon's under her feet, and she's got this crown of 12 stars on her head. Interesting. And she was pregnant. She's with child. And she cried out, being labor and in pain to give birth. Uh, we've already seen in Isaiah, we saw this yesterday, this labor pains, a uh, very common metaphor uh, in, the, in the scripture. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. So that's all very interesting. Uh, dragons with seven heads uh, were common mythical creatures in way back in Isaiah's day even. Um, and heads and horns and diadems, all of these uh, in Daniel and in Revelation, these all symbolize kings, rulers, that kind of thing. So you've got this dragon with symbols of, of rule on them. Again, very similar to passages in, in Daniel. So this dragon, his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. So now you got to dig in and figure out what do stars represent in prophecy? And what does it mean that they were thrown to the earth? And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. So now we're back to the first scene, the first image. This woman who's pregnant, who's dressed with the sun and standing on the moon and uh, has the, uh, uh, the crown of stars. A third of the stars, are they the same stars? They're down in heaven. Interesting. Now the dragon stands before the woman who's about to give birth. So this is a, this is a kind of a grotesque scene. The idea is she's, um, she's, you know, kind of squatting in our day. We have women in, in the, the, the stirrups, right? They're laying on their back and their legs spread and they got the holders there for their legs and the, the baby comes out that way. But probably earlier, she wouldn't be uh, laying so much as standing, maybe squatting and, and letting gravity help uh, deliver the, the baby. So the dragon is right there before this woman. And here's why. So that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. So whoever this child is, this dragon wants it dead. That's kind of the imagery here. And she gave birth to a son, a male, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. All right, so now it seems like we have an understanding of 
who this child is. Who is the one who rules the nations with a rod of iron? That would be the Messiah, right? And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So that seems to be ascension, maybe. Maybe Jesus' ascension time period. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for a thousand or one thousand two hundred and sixty days. Very interesting uh, because those are similar numbers that we see in Daniel and we see them in other places here in the book of Revelation. Who is this woman who gives birth to the ruler of nations? Is this Mary? Is this the Jews? Is it the church? Lots of different uh, theories on, on what this woman represents here. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough. Interesting. Remember we, we saw this in, a, in another prophecy uh, where we we looked at the, uh, and I read this already this morning, in that day that God will punish the host of heaven. And we went to Daniel, and there the battle between Gabriel and Michael and the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. Remember that? We talked about just how fascinating it is to think that there's this, this spiritual realm, this, this angelic and demonic realm, and, and there seems to be, uh, these angelically spiritual creatures that have authority over nations. And Michael was sent to respond to Daniel's prayer as soon as he started praying. But he was delayed in getting to Daniel because he had to fight with the prince of Persia. Well, the same kind of thing is going on here. Michael and his angels are fighting this dragon and they're waging war, but they're not strong enough. Uh, Interesting. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world, the inhabited earth, the world of men. So interesting, we have piled up names here. We have the dragon, who is the serpent of old, which again makes you think of Garden of Eden. Maybe it makes you think of Isaiah 27 that we're looking at. Uh, But we get more specific. He's the devil, the uh, diabolos, and he is the Satan. And he deceives the inhabited earth. He was thrown down to the earth And his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and day night. Uh, So many interesting things there. When, right? When is this? Is this all in the same time period? Is this one 
continuous vision? Is it more like Isaiah where you have different visions kind of thrown in here? Uh, right? You see all the questions? You, you got the birth of the the Messiah, the ruler of nations. You got this war going on. You got Satan cast down to the inhabited earth. Uh, and now the kingdom of God has come and the authority has come. Is this the authority that he was given at the resurrection and ascension when he says all authority is given unto me? Some would say, no, this is authority like at the end of time. And they would jump to, to chapter 20 and the, the millennial reign, all that. Interesting. Uh, this one who accuses the brethren, he's been thrown down and the kingdom of God has come. Well, they overcame him, right? The, the, the brothers, the, the brethren, our brethren, overcame Satan because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. For they did not love their life even when faced with death. So they were willing to be martyred. Is this the first century? All the martyrs there. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has become has come down to you, having great wrath. So this doesn't seem to be a time when the devil is killed, exactly. He is thrown down to earth, and he is furious. And here's why he's furious. He knows that he only has a short time. When the dragon was thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. All kinds of things there. I know you'd love to get into it. I'd love to get into it. We will someday, maybe. But the point is, he is furious because he knows his time is short. And so now he's doing everything to destroy the woman who gave birth to the son. So all this makes me wonder, how does he know? How does he know that his time is short? And I can't help but wonder if it's not because of Isaiah 27, 1. In that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent with his fierce and great and mighty sword, even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. Remember, we've, we've, look, we've seen this as we looked at Peter saying, even angels were looking into, longing to look into the plan of God as it played out, the gospel. They were surprised by the death of Jesus. Angels aren't omniscient. They don't know everything. And apparently God has not revealed his whole plan. Paul says, if the rulers of this world would have known the outcome of killing Jesus, they would have done it, which makes me think he's describing Satan and his angels. If they would have understood the power that Jesus gained by dying, they wouldn't, Satan wouldn't have had him killed. He wouldn't have entered Judas, for instance, to betray Jesus. Like he thought he won. He thought he had killed the Messiah and, and that's it. He wins. He, he, he has victory. And turns out that made Jesus more powerful than ever. See all the elements of this kind of thing in in our most popular stories, right? Movies, uh, destroying the the hero, killing the hero, and he comes back even more powerful. Gandalf, for instance, in the Lord of the Rings kind of thing. Uh, same same sort of thing here. So, 
Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He doesn't know the whole plan. Does he hear the prophecy of Isaiah? Does he know he's the serpent? And on that day, the Lord's going to kill him. And so as he's kicked out of heaven and sees that there's now a ruler who rules with a, a rod of iron and ruling the nations, the nations who were formerly under the authority of, of Satan, he realizes, oh, his day is coming or he's going to be slain. And so now he's furious, trying to kill God's people. I don't know. Makes sense to me in some ways, but doesn't answer every question. One way or the other, we do have here this, this vision of Isaiah that someday, on that day, Leviathan will be slain. And, and this idea of the one who lives in the sea, uh, repeatedly in the Old Testament, and it even comes back in the New Testament. In Revelation, in fact, when the before the throne that, I, that John sees there, the sea is like glass. It's, 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 uh, there are no ripples. It's smooth. That would have been a comforting thing in that vision because the place of the sea is so often where evil comes. It was, the sea was untamed. It was wild. It, there were creatures there, the fierce winds there, storms. Uh, Jews were not seafaring people right? Uh, they didn't, they weren't uh, maritime people and they were afraid of the sea. So the beast coming out of the sea, that would have symbolized uh, another treacherous opponent like Leviathan here. So uh, this dragon who lives in the sea, that's good news for them. Anyway, interesting stuff as we put these visions together. So ponder it, give it some thought and, uh, and if you have comments, put them in the comments and we'll uh, take a look at them. All right, folks, uh, that's all we have for today. Tomorrow we will continue on in Isaiah chapter 27. Have a great day. God bless.